How are you guys doing on this losing hour Sunday? Amen. I don't want to start calling it now. Like daylight savings time, we're not saving anything. We're losing an hour. I don't. Who came up with those lies? I don't know. Um, but you guys are here. So I told first service they get bonus points in heaven. Um, you guys also get bonus points in heaven because you guys are an hour earlier than you ever used to. So good job for that. I'll make sure that God takes note of that when you guys get there. Um, so if you notice, I have my water bottle. Um, some people say I have a drinking problem. Of course, we're talking about water. Um, because there's something, I don't know if it's something that's wrong or whatever, but nothing seems to satisfy my thirst. Like I can drink in water and still be thirsty. I can drink a whole bottle and I'm still thirsty. I can drink more. I remember, I, so this is like a 32-ounce bottle. I remember when I first got my 48-ounce bottle, my big blue one, um, I took it out of the Amazon box and filled it up. And before I went over to Brooklyn's house for breakfast, this was before we were married, I already drank two of those things. And I told them that, and they were like, her and her mom, like, you can't drink that much. Like, you're going to get water poisoning. I'm like, that's not a thing. Like, water is good for you. So I looked it up in my Google, and sure enough, it was a thing. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to calm down on that. I don't need that much water. Um, But something weird happens where, like, I'm just thirsty. Like, I drink and drink, and I can be fine for a little bit, but then I just want some more water. It seems like it doesn't satisfy as much um, as it used to whenever I first started drinking the water. But I remember whenever the water has tasted the best, when it satisfied the most, it was, of course, after a super long hike. So me and Brooklyn, this is last summer, whenever me and her family went to the Tetons, me and Brooklyn, we planned on doing about um, a 9 to 10 mile hike. Um, That sounds like a lot. But, I mean, it's not a flex or anything. It was just a a flat, easy kind of hike, beautiful scenery. Uh, We didn't go up and down a bunch of elevation or anything. So it was was nice. So, But we planned accordingly. So we brought a lot of water. We each had a water bottle. We each had a backpack full of water. But then we get about four and a half miles in. We're supposed to turn around. And there's this couple behind us. And, like, are you guys going to Lake Solitude? Like, what's a Lake Solitude? And like, oh man, like that's the only reason that you do this hike. Like it's to go to this magical lake up in the mountains that is beautiful and is surrounded by mountains and snow and all that kind of stuff and bears, oh my. But that's the reason why you go. I'm like, okay, um, should we go? Like, so we like talked about it for a little bit. Like, do we want to go? Like, it's just another two, three, six miles uh, down the trail. But the thing that we were most worried about is like, we couldn't tell her parents that we were going to be out in the woods in the mountains even longer because they were come to pick us up at a certain time that we um, agreed on. We didn't have any service. We couldn't tell them, hey, we're going to be like three or four hours later than we told you we were. So we're like, do we worry them? Do we not? Do we turn around? Do we go? Uh, long story short, we ended up going. And by the time we got back, it was about an 18-mile hike. As long as we were done, it was exhausting. But on the way back, the thing that worried me the most is I ran out of water. Like, I didn't plan on being out here all day long without any water. And so I started getting thirsty and worried. At one point, I filled up my water bottle with the stream that we were walking by. But then I was conflicted. I'm like, I don't know if I'd rather die of thirst or die of a parasite. Like, this looks like good water. I I don't know. It looks clear. It's cold. It smells good. But is it going to kill me? So I was conflicted on that. Um, But water had never tasted so good when we got back. And they had water and Gatorade for us. Like, that was the most satisfying feeling ever. Can anybody relate? Like, you've been mowing all day, and it's hot, and you're exhausted. You finally get that drink of water. It doesn't even have to be ice cold. But you're like, this is the best thing God has ever invented. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 42. Um, It's in your Bible, because all Bibles have it. Um, But it's going to be on the screen or on your phone if you have the Bible app. 
Uh, Psalm chapter 42, it starts off and it says, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, but all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive processions to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I will, I will remember you in the land of Jordan, in the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deepen the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers in your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of my enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. Well, all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Moments ago, we were worshiping, and all around you, people were singing, some with shouts of joy, some were quietly weeping in the presence of God, but maybe not you. You feel alone. Or maybe you don't feel anything at all, and it, it seems like when you turn your mind to God, it seems like a blank screen. Or whenever you lift up your eyes to heaven, it seems like there's a wall or a ceiling between you and heaven. And then when you look in, you start to get scared because it seems like there's nothing there and you don't feel God's presence and you feel crazy. And then you begin to think, like, like is this me? Like, am, I, am I doing something wrong? Is it my personality? Am I not um, expressive enough? Is it my sin? Am I serious enough for God? Am I not doing enough for God? And then it gets even scarier than that. We think, is it God? Is he mad at me? Is he not compassionate? Is he even real? Are we all duped or tricked? We don't have a category for this, especially in the Pentecostal and charismatic circles of the church, for an experience with God that feels more like absence than presence. And so we start to think something is wrong with us or something is wrong with God. Now, if that speaks to you today, just know that you are not alone, even in this room this morning. This is a topic that's usually off, um, off topic for churches and, and for, in the church world. But in reality, what you are going through is a vital stage in your spiritual growth. And it might even be from God himself. So this morning, we're going to talk about that season in your spiritual life when God takes away his felt presence and leads you into a desert without water. Notice I, I said felt presence, not his actual presence. Those are two different things. This is a season when... Um, where St. John of the Cross, who was a 16th century Spanish monk, that's about the same time as Martin Luther and John Calvin in them, um, St. John of the Cross, he calls this season the dark night of the soul. And while that imagery or that word, dark night of the soul, is not actually in the Bible, the imagery is all throughout. We see that in Psalms 42, Psalm 77, Psalms 130, Isaiah 45, Isaiah 8. You get the idea of the, the, about a season 
where it seems like there is no light, a season where it feels like there is no water. But, but before we talk about the dark night and we start to blame God for the feelings that we don't feel, there are actually some legitimate reasons why we might not feel God's presence in our life the way that we used to. The first one is hurry or busyness or distraction. Whenever we don't feel God, sometimes it's not that God is absent, it's that we are absent from God. We're either on our phone or on Netflix or Facebook or on TikTok or sitting in traffic, just mad because traffic is so long. And then when we finally put away our phone and we get to go to church, we can't hear God because our mind is still revved up to a pace that nobody is able to keep. You're sitting here and then your phone goes off or your watch buzzes. We just can't focus on God. Dallas Willard, a great pastor and professor, he once said that hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life today. Not the enemy, not the devil, not sin, not the world, but hurry is our greatest enemy when it comes to wanting to live a life that is acting and looking like Jesus. Another reason is sin. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The opposite of that is also true. Unblessed or unhappy are those who are not pure because they will not see God. It's safe to say that if you have not allowed God to purify your heart, then you will not see or feel God's presence. So if we continue or persist in a certain sin, then we are then forgoing God's felt presence in our life. And a third reason is demonic. We see that in the book of Daniel. Daniel, he's earnestly seeking and praying God. And um, the angel says that he was trying to get to Daniel to answer his prayer, but then he was prevented because of demonic warfare. But none of these reasons or what we're actually talking about this morning, because there's a fourth reason. When God intentionally takes away his felt presence, not his actual presence, but the felt presence, in order to grow us. There are times whenever we can actually put away our phones, and we're not distracted, and we're not persisting in sin, and, and demons aren't blocking God, and we still don't feel God the way that we used to. You can be doing everything right, going to church, reading the Bible every day, carving out time in the morning to seek and pray God with all the right motivations of your heart and earnestly seeking God and His will and still not feel His presence in your life. We feel like Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams of water, so I long for you, God. Most of us, we misinterpret the psalm to, to think that that thirst or that desire for God is something that is good. Like, God, I thirst for you. God, I desire for you. God, I just want nothing but you in our life. And that desire um, is, is a good thing, but that's not the image that the psalm is actually painting there. The image that the psalm is painting is of a deer that is roaming through the desert. He is thirsty. He's dying of thirst. And when he finally gets to the stream, it's dry and there's nothing there for the deer. That thirst is not a good thing. It's not something that we want. It's a bad thing. And there are Psalm 42 seasons in our life where we feel like we are living in a desert. We thirst for God. We desire his felt presence, but whenever we come to the river, or whenever we come to church, we come to the Bible, we start to pray, it's dry. And we feel more of God's absence than his presence. But what if I told you that in that moment, in that season, that is exactly where God wants you to be? And that, that this is one of the most important seasons in your life. 
with Jesus. Because anybody who wants to become more like and think like and speak more like Jesus must go through this stage at some point in your life. Either you, you have been and now you're out, or maybe you're in it right now in this season, or you haven't gone through it yet and you don't know what I'm talking about and you're about to go into it. All of us must go through this stage in our life in order to become more like Jesus. Just want to encourage you guys with that today. Like, right. So go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Um, Exodus chapter 17, the context for the story is the exodus of God's people from uh, Egyptian slavery. Like, that's a clever name for a book. What should we call this book? Well, it's about people of Israel, ex- like it's about an exodus, so we'll just call it exodus, right? Very, very original. Uh, but the context for the story is the exodus of the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Um, the people of Israel, they have been enslaved for hundreds of years by Egypt, and so the time for deliverance had come, and so God, he uses Moses to lead the people out of Egypt with great miracles. That's whenever the ten plagues happen. That's when Moses um, lifts up his staff, and God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through it on dry ground, but then Pharaoh's army comes and drowns them. This is also a time when God miraculously provides for them. Whenever the, the people of Israel, they don't have any food, so God, he rains down bread in the form of manna on them. Whenever that's not enough, God gives them meat in the form of quail. God is providing for them in miraculous ways through this. And God also led the people personally. The people of Israel, they never had to wonder, like, where does God want us to be today? Because it says that God led them personally through a pillar of smoke in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And so if you ever wondered, like, where are we supposed to be? Just look up. You see the fire. You see the smoke. Boom, you know exactly where you're supposed to be. God was with them. And that was evident. Exodus 17, verse 1, says, The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of Sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. There's two things right off the bat. The first thing it says that at the Lord's command, they went from place to place at the Lord's command. It was God who was leading them. And the second thing is that God led them to a place where there was no water. God intentionally led the people to a desert where there was no water. They were literally like that deer in Psalm 42, longing for water. This is what the dark night of the soul is talking about. For some of us, we are camped at Rephidim, and there is no water. And as far as you can see, it seems like there is a desert, and you don't know when the water is going to flow again. From our natural perspective, it seems like things are going to end badly. Like if I don't get water, if I don't get a drink, then I'm going to die. And there's no human way out. And in this passage, it is saying that we're not there by accident, but we are directed there by God. So what do we do when we find ourselves in the desert where there is no water? Can we learn from the Israelites and follow their example? Exodus 17, verse 2, it says, So the people complained to Moses. Give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So the main point here is that the Israelites, they did not trust God. Instead, they accused of Moses and God of wanting to kill them. So the Israelites, they're not questioning God's timing, or his authority, or his control, but they're questioning his goodness. 
They're not saying that God can't give them water if they ask. They're saying that God never intended to. They knew, like, they just saw all the miracles. They just saw all the templates. They just saw the Red Sea split. They saw all that the food is coming down every morning. So they're not questioning God's authority. They're not questioning his ability. They're questioning his goodness. He's, they're questioning his intentions. Like, why did you do all this? Why did you bring us out just to kill us? That sounds ridiculous, but how often do we think or feel that way about God? Like, God left me. God doesn't care about me. God, don't you see all the things I'm doing for you? God, don't you see that I'm actively looking for you? I'm reading the Bible. I'm setting aside time every morning to pray and to seek you. I give money to the church. I give money to the poor. I do all these things for you. God, why did you leave me? You don't care about me. You want me to suffer. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe, maybe he's not real. These are the thoughts that come into our mind when we feel like we're in the desert season or when we feel like we're in the dark night. Like, God doesn't see or care about me anymore. So what is the dark night? Like, how do we define it? And then why would God even allow this to happen to us? What is God trying to do through us in this? So let's start off with what it's not. The dark night, it's not a season of pain and suffering, even though they can overlap at times. The dark night, it's not that season of grief or loss Whenever we feel like, or whenever we lose somebody and we wonder, like, God, where are you? God, why would you allow this to happen? Many times, whenever we actually go through seasons of, of pain and grief and loss, many of us actually feel God's presence in a deep and new way. We feel like God is actually with me through this. I know that was the case for me whenever I found out I lost my mom and my brother. Like, it wasn't immediately, but soon after, I felt, okay, God is with me. Like, a deep peace comes over you, and you just can't explain it, but you know, okay, God is with me through this, even though it hurts, even though it's, it's not good. God is with me through this. So the dark night, it's not that season of pain and grief, even though they can overlap. It's also not a season of exhaustion. Like how many of you guys, like whenever we're hungry or we're tired or like we feel like, okay, God's not here anymore. Like I can't feel God. But it's amazing how much like a snack and a nap can revive our spirits. I'm like, okay, now God's here with me, right? It's the same thing with coffee. Like, first thing in the morning, like, God's not with me right now. Like, don't mess with me. And then you get that first drink of coffee. I'm like, okay, there is a God in heaven right now. Okay, we're good. We're good. God does exist. He is real. He does answer prayers. It's not that season of exhaustion. It's not that. So what is the dark night of the soul? John Mark Comer, a pastor and an author, he defines it as a season in our walk with Jesus where he intentionally takes away not his presence, but the felt sense of his presence, which are not the same thing, in order to do a work of purgation and preparation in us for greater levels of intimacy, freedom, peace, and love. Basically, it's a season where God takes away that Jesus high, where that emotional feeling we get whenever we choose to start loving Jesus and we feel that he loves us back and he takes it away to see that if we will still love and follow him, even without it. And the results are greater levels of growth in your relationship with Jesus. Like even in that season, like we are still blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that's what Ephesians says. We still have everything we need for life and godliness. In this season, God has not forsaken us and he never will, but he will eventually take away that felt sense of his presence for a season to see how we respond. So often we equate that feeling of God's presence 
with the blessings of God or even the fruit of our relationship with him, but they're not the same thing. Like whenever we feel that deep sense of God's presence, we feel that emotion, we think, okay, now I'm finally maturing more into my relationship with Jesus. So sometimes that's true, but that's not always the case. What we need more than that felt experience of God is the full undivided essence of God himself. And that is what God is trying to accomplish through that dark night. It's hard to describe by definition because it's dark. Like at night in the dark, you usually don't know what you're looking at until the sun comes up. Um, like it's the same thing. Like you, you don't know what God is doing through you in this. It's confusing. It's dark. It's painful. But then when the sun comes up and the light begins to shine or when water begins to flow, you look back and like, okay, that's what God was doing through me. So how do we know when we're in a dark night and it's actually not hurry, it's not sin, or it's not the demonic? The main thing is pay attention to your desires. If your, if your desire for the world has gone up, but your desire for God has gone down, then that's probably not the dark night. But if your desire for the world has gone down and your desire for God has gone up, even though you can't see or feel them the same way you used to before, then you're probably in a dark night. Like basically, whenever you think about God and you get nothing in return or you open up your Bible and you're praying, you're coming to church and it's boring and you, and you don't like see or feel God and you're like, okay, fine, like what's on Facebook then or what's on, what's on Netflix? Let's just see what else is going on. That's probably not the dark night. But whenever you're seeking God and you're earnestly seeking his will and his desires and you come to church and you're worshiping and you're praying and you're setting time, aside time to read his word and you desire nothing but God and his crickets, and all you hear is nothing, and you feel nothing, that's probably the dark night. And the main thing that God is doing in our life in the dark night, he's rewiring our heart's desires, and he's setting us free from the desire for other things we think we need for a happy life. And he is setting us free to love him finally with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors, ourselves, and to even love our enemy. And he's setting us up for greater levels of peace and joy than we ever thought possible. That's the main thing God is trying to do through that. So let's return back to Exodus chapter 17, verse 3 through 6. But the people, they thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our family and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried to the Lord. He said, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses. Go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff that you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of all the elders of Israel. When God's work is done inside of us, when we learn to trust him, and to look like, and to act like, and to think more like Jesus. Whenever our spirit is connected with his spirit, whenever he gets rid of our desire for just feelings and emotional high, and the only thing we desire is a connection with God, then and only then will water will begin to flow in the desert. Or in the language of the dark night, only then will light begin to shine at night. God told Moses, he said, go and strike the rock, and I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out and the people will drink. When I read that, my question is like, why did God have to be standing there in front of him on the rock? 
Like, why couldn't God just say, okay, Moses, you know what? Just go and hit the rock and water come out. Or, you know what, Moses, just sit back and relax. I'm going to take care of it. I'm just going to send a lightning bolt on that rock, and it's going to make water come out. Or why couldn't God just speak to the rock and make water come out? Like, why was it important that God was standing there in front of him on the rock? Because what the people needed more than water was God. What we need more than things on earth is God. What we need more than pleasure or experience is God. What we need more than the felt experience of God, that emotions and that happiness and that joy and the peace, what we need more than that is God himself. In Psalm chapter 63, David, again, he's speaking about that dry and lonely season. He says in verse 1, he says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. In his thirst, in that desolate place without water, David still declared, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Even whenever it was dry, even whenever David came to God himself and he says, God, I seek you. God, I praise you. God, I'm doing everything you want me to do. But it is dry. It's desolate. I don't see you. I don't feel you. This is painful. I don't understand what's going on. But yet I will still look on your sanctuary. I will still look at your glory. And I will still declare with my lips that you are good. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that dry place? What do we do when we find ourselves in the dark night? What do we do whenever we're seeking God and we don't feel the same thing in return? We open the Bible and it's just not there for us anymore. We pray and it doesn't seem like anyone is listening. Declare with your lips that you will still glorify God because his faithful love is better than life. The essence of God himself, that God is with us, that is better than anything else. And I just want to encourage you this morning that you are not being fake Whenever you praise God, even when you don't feel anything, when you lift your hands or you shout, you sing, you pray, even when you don't feel anything in return, you're not being a hypocrite. You're not going through the motions when you pray or worship or seek God, even when you don't feel anything. Instead, what you're doing in that moment, in that season, is you're literally walking in faith. You're literally using your body to act out in faith. Like, God, I don't see you right now. God, I don't feel you right now. God, I don't know if you're even listening, but your word says that you are, that you are with me. And even though I don't see you or feel you, I'm still going to worship you and praise you because your faithful love is better than life. Your faithful love is better than life. And this season, another encouragement, this season is just a season. It's not God's will for you to be in that season forever. The purpose is to grow us to become more mature followers of Jesus that don't just love God for emotion, but we love and worship God with our mind, body, and soul. We don't just love God because he makes our heart feel good and full, but we worship him with our mind, with our thoughts, with our knowledge, worship him with with our body, lifting up our hands, singing with our lips, even when we don't feel him, we worship him with our soul. That is what God desires. And one day, that light will begin to shine again. Or as it was with the Israelites in the desert without water, one day water will flow in the desert. And the Bible talks a lot about that phrase, like the water will flow in the desert. You see that all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms and Isaiah. 
And it says the water will flow in the desert. Like, what is they talking about there? A lot of times it's talking about the future time when God's kingdom will come. It's alluding to the, the kingdom that is coming. And the water that is flowing in the desert is Jesus himself. Exodus chapter 17, 5 through 6, again, it says, The Lord answered Moses. He says, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. And I'm going to, be, I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. So God was standing there on the rock in front of them. What the people needed more than water was God himself. And that's exactly what God provides. What the people needed more than the water was God himself. And that's what God provides in Jesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking about this exact same story, this exact same scenario in 1 Corinthians. He's alluding back to it. And this is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. It says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That rock that was hit was Jesus. It is important to understand, like Moses, God says, when you hit the rock, that's when water will flow. Think about how Jesus provided the spiritual life for us. He was crucified for us. When Jesus was crucified, God's wrath was finally complete. And then when God rose Jesus from the dead, he completed the mission that everyone before and after Jesus would ultimately fail, which was being the perfect image bearer of God. And so because of Jesus' death and resurrection, it opens the door for us to enter into God's presence and get exactly what we need the most in life, which is God himself. Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead to make us feel better to give us all the, the emotions and feelings that we need. Like, that's part of it, especially once you first give your life to Jesus. That is a big part of it, because think about what God is doing there. He's taking, he's trying to set your desires on Jesus, except, or from the desires of the world. He's taking all your satisfactions and everything you got from the world, and he's saying, see, the life I have is better for you. That's why we feel so good. That's why we feel so much of the, that Jesus highs, they say, whenever we give our life to him, we're on fire for him. Because God is saying, like, see, my way of life is better. But he slowly take that away. That's not why Jesus came to make us feel better. He came, he died, and rose again so that we can finally enter into his presence, which is where we need to be the most. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Like, we can never get to where God wants us to be. We are banished from the garden. But Jesus' death and resurrection, it opens the door for us to enter into the sanctuary to worship God himself. And today, Jesus is offering that life and that water, that presence to all of us. From those who maybe you, you consider yourself a Christian, but you don't know, those who you, you accepted Jesus last week, those you've been walking in the life or the life of Christ for years, your entire life, God is offering us the exact same thing this morning, which is his presence in water. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 7. It says in verse 37, it says, On that last day, the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing deep within him. Jesus died for our sins. 
He died in our place, but he didn't stay dead. God rose him from the dead, bringing a new way of life. That, that water that's flowing from deep within us, that is God's presence. God is with us even now. He's give, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. All that is true. So if you are in desperate need of spiritual water today, the source is ready. That's true for all of us in this room. Those of you who maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and those who have been walking with him forever, the source is ready. So I'm going to ask everyone to go ahead and stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never made that decision to walk with him, to become more like him, to give your life to him, but you want to, you desire that life. You desire that the, there's flowing, living waters flowing deep within. If that's you, we just raise your hand so we know who we're praying for this morning. If you want to walk into the family of God. Amen. Amen. You guys can look back up at me. For those of you who are in the dark night, the worship team, they're going to lead us in another song of worship with a couple songs. Press in. Don't let that dry season make you think that God is not here or listening. He is with you even now. As you lift up your hands, as you sing, as you pray, God is with you. He has not left you. He's even with you right now. So trust in him, lean on him, desire him and nothing but him. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence. God, we thank you for your glory. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for making a way for us to enter into your presence, to lean in on you, to trust in you with our life and our soul. God, I pray that this morning that you soften our hearts to trust you deeper with everything we have, to trust in you even if we don't see or feel you. We can know that you are there because your word says so, and you are faithful. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The the prayer team is going to be available at the front if you have any prayer requests or any needs. Let's get back in order.